0: Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. trying to focus on is the cohesiveness. Um, obviously, you know, the depth chart is going to be what it's going to be at the end of camp. Uh, but this is probably the biggest D-line group that we have had since I've been here. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of crazy because we have such a different mixture of guys, like guys that are trying to prove themselves, guys that kind of already established, guys that have had some success early, guys that have kind of been, you know, steadfast in the league like Hank. So it's been good. I think the biggest thing, though, we got a good leader in Coach Marinelli. So um, he talks big on being a collective, being a leader of the defense, which is what we're trying to be. So I think every day we just focusing on getting better for sure. That's Raiders defensive end Cleve Farrell uh, out at the practice facility today after day two of Raiders training camp, Raiders practice. And um, he was actually responding to a, a, a question that I would asked him about, I'm just going to be straight up. I mean, if day one and day two are any indication, it looks uh, like Clee Farrell is going to be one of the anchors coming off the bench uh, on that second team defensive line. Uh, what I've seen so far um, – First team defensive line has been Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe as the defensive ends, uh, Quinton Jefferson and Jonathan Hankins as the defensive tackles, uh, and then a second unit comes in and it's typically four deep. They you know they just switch it completely out, uh, and it's typically been Cleve Farrell at one defensive end, Carl Nassib at the, at the, as the other defensive end, Solomon Thomas as a defensive tackle, and either Darius Phylon or. Um, I'm uh, missing. Oh, Mac Dickerson as the other defensive tackle, and at times uh, in some in some group settings, uh, personnel groupings, uh, Malcolm Kuntz will come in uh, as one of the defensive ends. So, you know, if you're looking at it from that perspective, Clee Farrell, who's been a starter the last two years, looks like he's coming off the bench. And I asked him, you know, is is anyone really thinking along those terms? And he's like, like you know, the depth chart will be the depth chart once. Training camp is over. We'll see where all that uh, goes. But I think more than anything, um, and at least the sense that I get from Klee is, yeah, you want to be a starter. And and there's some symbolic um, you know, reward for saying that you're a starter. But I think in the Raiders case, even more importantly, uh, and something that Klee Farrell touched on was the fact that this is a deep depth chart on the defensive line. Unlike it's been in any recent past, certainly not last year, uh, there's depth, there's quality depth, there's players that, what did Peter King just say? Guys that, you know, if they just do what they've done on the base on the back of their baseball cards or what they've done previously, the Raiders' defensive line should be in pretty darn good shape. And what Klee was talking about was, you know, guys, because that depth wasn't quite as high in the last couple of years... Guys got burnt out by the end of games. Guys got burnt out by the end of seasons. And let's think about that for a second. When were the Raiders at their worst typically? End of games, later on in the season, right? Why do you think that is? Well, a lot of times is gas wasn't left in or wasn't there in the tank for some of these guys because they had to play too many snaps. Um, because some of the guys that they had to put in there just weren't up to the standard, just weren't up to par. And so at critical moments, when the Raiders needed their best to be their best, sometimes they they reached down and nothing really was there, and at least not enough to be a really good, productive football player when it mattered most. So what Klee's talking about is, look, you know, this is going to put us in a better position, this depth, this length, even if it means guys sometimes having to play a different role, guys quote unquote coming off the bench rather than being in the starting lineup, guys p- playing less snaps, condensed roles, more streamlined roles, whatever the case might be, the goal is, and the way he sees it in a in a positive way, rather than sulking about some you know symbolic starting job or whatnot, is. We're going to be in a better position as a defense, as a group, as a unit to deliver, to have something left in the tank when we really need to have something in the tank late in the games. Later on in seasons, the Raiders were at their worst far too often when you get right down to it, defensively especially, late in games. And then in the second half of the season, you don't think the Raiders took a, a good look at that in their self-analysis that you do during the offseason and say, you know, where do we need to get better? What do we need to do to put ourselves in a better position? Well, and I, obviously this was obvious to anyone that has any kind of sense at all. You need better players, and, you meet, and, and, and especially on that defensive line, um, you need to lengthen the depth chart. You need to be able to, as Gus Bradley has talked about, come at people in waves. So when what's interesting to me watching uh, things unfold so far in the first two days of camp is how they've rotated literally four players for four players along that defensive line. So. Out goes Max Crosby. Out goes Unique and Out goes Quincy, uh, Quentin Jefferson. Out goes Jonathan Hankins. In comes Carl Nassib. In comes uh, Cleve Farrell. In comes Matt Dickerson or Darius Filon. In comes Solomon Thomas. That's not a bad situation to have. And even as proud as Klee is, uh, as much as I'm sure Raider Nation wants him to be the starter, given how he was the fourth overall pick in the 2019 draft, does it really matter that much? As long as you, Raider Nation, are getting quality snaps from that defensive line from the first play of the game, to the middle of the game, to the third quarter of the game, to late in the game. And how do you do that? How best do you ensure that? You put as many good players together as possible and you, and you play them and you allot their playing time. Um, you know me, I hate the notion of load management by sitting guys in games in the NBA. I, I don't like it. You know, people pay, pay good money to go see the Kawhi Leonards and people like that play, suit up and play. All right. I don't like that kind of load management. However, I completely get LeBron James on a cold night in February in Milwaukee. Well, let's not necessarily say Milwaukee because the Lakers are going to, it's the defending champions. The Lakers are going to come out there wanting to win that game to send some messages. But on a cold night in Indiana, let's say, uh, where. If you're Frank Vogel and LeBron James, you get together and say, hey, you know, um, and and maybe this is the case throughout the season as much as possible. Cap the minutes. Manage the minutes. You don't always have to play 43 minutes a game. Sometimes you have to because the game, uh, the situation kind of warrants it. But ideally, you don't want a guy like LeBron James burning all his gas in the regular season. You need to have something left in the tank not just for end of games, but as the season wears on. And you do that, you're able to do that better, uh, more comfortably, when you build depth, when you know that, all right, unique and Gakwe um, off to the sidelines, come out of the game, and you can bring in a Clee Farrell, uh, maybe a Malcolm Kuntz, maybe a re and I got to say this too, Carl Nassib has looked good in training camp. I don't know what it's going to translate to on the field. We all know that um, he signed a relatively big contract last year. He didn't live up to expectations, period, explanation point. Um, Carl Nassim did not deliver what the Raiders were hoping he would when they signed him. But I got to say, watching him, watching Max Crosby, another player who, frankly, had a subpar season last year, um, You know, some of it may have been that teams were aware of him coming off a 10.5 sack season as a rookie and said, well, he's not going to beat us. That's the guy we got to block, and we're going to make sure that he doesn't beat us. Part of it might have been or so they made adjustments to him, and maybe he didn't make the correct adjustments off those adjustments. As something that you got to learn as a professional player, especially somebody who gains some stature early on and puts themselves on not only the fan base's radar, your own team's radar, but every radar across the league that's going to play you is going to say, yeah, we're going to stop that dude. We're going to make sure that dude doesn't beat us. And so we're going to change up now that we, have, we've, we understand we have to be aware of this guy. We're going to be aware of him, and our game plan is going to reflect that. And so as a player, as a young player, you have to understand that that's going to happen, and you got to figure out ways to combat it. So that played into it a little bit. I think some injuries played into it a little bit. We saw at the end of the last season, after the season, uh, on his Instagram, Max Crosby, that all of a sudden he's, he's shown some, you know, a uh, a shot from the hospital bed after a surgery, and it was like, oh, you know, it would have been nice to have known that he was going through some pain. But I respect him not wanting the whole world to understand that he was dealing with something. But that definitely shed some light <clears throat> on where he was physically or wasn't. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about that depth, and you're talking about now what could be uh, a renewed um, uh, Carl Nassib, who in his past, if you look at the baseball card, as Peter King talked about on the back of the baseball card, he's produced. He can produce. You look at Quint, uh, Quentin Jefferson. You look at Darius Philon. You look at Solomon Thomas. You look at Unique and Gakwe. If they do what they've done and what you can clearly see they've done, if you turn around the baseball card or the card and look behind and see what their production has been, oh, and that's all they have to do, really. They don't have to exceed anything. It would be great, I'm sure. John Gruden, Gus Bradley, Rod Marinelli would love for uh, everybody on the defensive line to exceed some of their great years, some of their best numbers, but they don't even have to do that. If they just do what they've done in the past, you start adding it up, and the 14 and a half sacks that the Raiders had last year on the defensive line, all of a sudden, very easily, in the blink of an eye, without exaggerating one iota, all of a sudden, you're talking about the possibility of doubling that, getting into the 30s very easily. Shoot. Shoot. If Max Crosby just does what he did as a rookie and Unique Ngakwe just does what he typically does, that's 20 sacks right there. You throw in five sacks, six sacks from Clee Farrell. You throw in five sacks from Carl Nassib. We're at 30, folks. You want to throw in three or four from Solomon Thomas? You want to throw in three and four from Darius Phylon if he works his way into the rotation? A couple from Jonathan Hankins? A couple from Quentin Jefferson? This is, and we're just talking about the defensive line. Now you're at 35, 36, even higher. And that's, dude, have we, have, we, have we said anything that's like just crazy nonsense? Like, what are you drinking right now, Vinny? There's no way that can possibly happen now nah, we're just we're we're just doing bare minimum of what these guys are capable of doing like literally for all we know a max crosby being in the kind of shape that he's in being on the kind of mental space that he's in right now who's to say he can't have 14 15 sacks why not so but Getting back to to my point, if they just do what they're capable of doing and you start, this guy guy can do that, that 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 guy can do that, hello, 35 or so sacks right there. And that's just the defensive line. Trust me when I say, and I've seen already in practice, get ready for some blitzes. From a guy like, or, or, or it doesn't even have to be blitzes because they're going to be doing, you know, they do blitz. Gus Bradley, I know he doesn't blitz a lot, but he does blitz. Uh, but what he also does is figure out creative ways to send four players through all these exotic type things that they do. So expect to see Jonathan Abram in the rush game, coming off that box um, safety position that he plays closer to the line of scrimmage and utilizing him in the rush game. Get ready for a couple of cornerback blitzes. Get ready for Corey Littleton. Get ready for, uh, you know, um, Nicholas Morrow had a couple of sacks last year. So, you know, again, it, it's not out of the realm to, to think that the Raiders can get up and above 40 sacks this year. And if they do that coming off the 21 and a half that they had last year, it changes everything. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Interact with the show, text Vinny at 69187, or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920
1: AM. Um, Pretty good. Um, Just learning, taking a day, day at a time, just, you know, constantly learning the system, um, learning, you know, what to look for and things like that. But overall, I feel really good about the, the move.
0: That was Raiders safety, third year safety, Jonathan Abram. Um, by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by tequila. and I'm, I'm listening to a voicemail that a good friend of mine. You know, you have that friend in your life uh, <laughs> who will say anything. I can't even, I can't even, I, there's nothing I can say to explain the message that he left me. But But just picture a good friend of yours who you know like this and that. Uh, he left a voicemail, uh, kind of, it almost made it sound like he was calling me on the radio show. And it was, it started off with, uh, you know, thanks for taking my call. And then he just went into, (laughs) I'm going to say what he got into, but, uh, I will be getting my friend Josh back on that one. Thankfully he was just on my voicemail and he didn't actually call the show, which I would never put past him. Uh, but I love you, Josh. Um, anyway, you know, uh, listening to and seeing and watching and observing um, Jonathan Abram today. And, you know, part of the, part of the uh, progress that we're making with COVID-19 is we finally now, instead of talking to players, interview, interviewing players on, on Zoom, we actually get to be in the same room now uh, with players again. It's still a far cry from being in the locker room and, and building relationships that way um it's more along the line yeah but 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 at the very least we get to visually see them and talk to them and 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 all of that and and it's a difference obviously uh between communicating with somebody on on zoom so and mitch if you hang on uh we'll be getting uh, to you in just a second uh mitch from new jersey but you know you look at jonathan abram today compared to jonathan abram last year and the year before and it's in stark contrast. And to me, it's a sign that he's maturing. To me, it's a sign that he I think he's gotten to that point where, I mean, you know, when you look, if you're a kid that gets drafted in the NFL in the first round and and, you know, it's the culmination of a dream. And if you're an extrovert like Jonathan Abram is and he's, 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 you know, an entertaining, high energy, fun kind of a guy uh, who, you know, got into the NFL eyes wide open, trying to just make his mark and not only just be a player, but be a great personality and, and, and all of that. You know, I understand it. I get it. Um, and, and that's what he was he, he was. he brought this big personality to everything that he did, and, and it was obvious. Uh, but I think he has gotten to a point, especially after kind of struggling on the field last year. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, some his own uh, in in the reckless way that, that he played, um, but some being played, to me, out of position. Uh, but whatever you want to uh, say about it, whatever however you want to explain it away, partly his fault, um, partly the situation that he was in, whatever the case might be, I think watching him today, and it goes back to OTAs because I felt that same sort of maturity demeanor kind of leveling it down a little bit leveling the personality thing down and the and and the, and you know who you want to be off the field and the image that you want to present you know and and trying to just gobble it all up take that big bite of the pro athlete life and all the opportunities that come with it i think he's kind of come to a place where in order to maintain that to 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 make this a long term thing and not just a fleeting short term come and go type of a situation which happens far too often in professional sports you get that opportunity and you either seize it or you don't and there are very few second chances and usually that second chance comes with you know hey you better show us really quick or else we're moving on we don't have big money invested you in. in you uh, The first-round pick thing, that's long gone. That was five years ago. Uh, you're here trying to make this team right now. It might be your second chance. might be your second team. You ain't going to get uh, all the leeway that you got as a first-round pick. That happens. We've seen it a bunch of times. And I think that Jonathan Abram has come to the conclusion that, you know, first and foremost, as big of a bite as I want to take in terms of Every opportunity of being a professional athlete, of building a brand, of being a personality off the floor, off the court, off the uh, playing field, I got to get it done on the field. That's where it all starts. That's where you have to back it up first and foremost. And there's a huge difference between getting to the NFL or getting there to Major League Baseball or the NBA or the NHL or the WNBA or whatever sport league you want to talk about. There's a huge difference between getting there and staying there. And ultimately, you have to ask yourself the question, am I happy just to have gotten here or do I want to stay here? And if the... Answer is the latter. If you want to stay here, if you want to make this not just a one and done or a one contract and done or a one opportunity and done, you have to figure out what you need to do to stay here. And by staying here, ultimately, it comes down to producing. It comes down to being a reliable asset on whatever team you're on. And if you do that, there's longevity in this career. There's also plenty of opportunities when you're not playing to seize financial fun, whatever, great lifestyle, uh, be all flamboyant and be crazy. Be a personality. Be somebody that some you know that fans want to follow on Twitter and and Instagram and and watch on YouTube and all of those things. All of those great opportunities, commercials, going to parties, you know, enjoying uh, you know the fruits of your of your labor. But it all starts on the football field, and really, it all starts even before that in the weight room in conditioning being in the present during the meetings, being diligent in the offseason, being diligent during your off time, committing yourself to being the best possible player you can be, first and foremost, locking that part of it down. And then you can do whatever the heck you want, but you can't do it backwards. And I think in some ways Jonathan Abram and you know, no not, not not being critical of him. Sometimes you 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 face that reality after a while. Like, I'm doing this backwards. I'm trying to do all the other stuff without first focusing and mastering the critical part of it. You know, I always go back to Dennis Rodman sometimes when I because he was the ultimate guy that understood By taking care of business on the court, he could do whatever the heck he wanted to do off the court in terms of being just the great personality that he ended up being. You know, quick story. I was working for the Lakers when Dennis Rodman first came into the league. It was when he was Dennis Rodman, not Dennis Rodman, that we ended up seeing and uh, i thought you were going to tell a story that maybe you had a story like that 11 games that he played for the lakers and what was that like 99 or 2000 that was after he definitely became that was (laughs) was that was definitely toward the end (laughs) yeah there were a few stories with that but but prior to that and this is in the 1980s one of my jobs when i worked for the lakers was after games uh, i would go get opposing players um from their locker room and Walk them over, whether it was upstairs to their radio crew uh, to do an interview, or there was an interview room um, off to the, uh, off to, you know, near the locker rooms where they would do TV interviews or, or whatever the case might be. So it, I would have to go into the, Pistons locker room and go get, you know, Isaiah Thomas or whoever, Bill Laimbeer or whoever it was, and march them to where, take escort them to wherever it was that the interview was going to happen. You had TV, radio, multiple radio stations. You had the home team radio, the opposing team's radio, uh, the home team TV, the, the opposing team's uh, TV, um, on and on and on, national TV. And so, um, you know, I met a whole bunch of great players uh, as a result of that, one of which was a young player by the name of Dennis Rodman. And, um, cool as can be humble as can be just a guy that, you know, was, was making his mark in the NBA. And, you know, obviously years later he became the, uh, you know, money-making off the court Dennis Rodman that, you know, was dominating the news. He was, he was a crossover star. People that didn't even watch basketball knew who Dennis Rodman was, but, it all started with him mastering on the court. He was a lockdown defender who rebounded like a demon and was an asset to whatever team he was on. Point blank. He was one of the most unusually great basketball players that I've ever watched. He didn't score a lick other than garbage points. Yet he made. he's in the Hall of Fame, right? I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, he's in the Hall. Okay. And go... Devon, tell me how many points Dennis Rodman averaged in his career. I'd, I'd, I'd say 11, maybe tops. I could be wrong, but I don't I, don't, I, I think that that's kind of where he was. But look at what he did defensively. What do we got? For his career, 7.3. There you go. I was going with seven. That was, that was the number I was seeing in my head, but I was like, that's too low. But career. His, high. highest, his highest in one season was 11. That's yeah. his okay. highest. There you go. All right. He's in the Hall of Fame. And his career scoring average was seven points. Why? Because he freaking flat out dominated, dominated games as a rebounder and lockdown defender. Um, But that allowed, he backed everything that he did off the court by being a great player on the court. So we go back to Jonathan Abram, who I thought, was trying to approach it kind of in a backward way where uh, the football thing, and I'm not saying that it was secondary at all, but I think that it might have been a little bit equal football to the the off-the-field type stuff, all right? And it kind of slapped him around in the face. He's not been good on the field, at least not good enough. And in some cases, he's been a bit of a liability. See him today. The hair is natural. There's no – and I I hate going here because I'm a free spirit type of a dude. Whatever you want to do, you do. But it just seems like he's toned everything down to a point where what his main focus right now is on the football field. And if you look – and I think that's a good thing. It's a maturity thing. And I think it's an acknowledgement and an understanding that, hey, man, all that other stuff is going to go – Nobody's gonna care what Jonathan Abram has to say, or where he went to go shop for his shoes, or even get invited to come shop at you know such and such shoes and go on YouTube and 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 promote you know the brand and and the store and all. That. Nobody's gonna care about any of that if he washes out as a player. He's just gonna be another dude out there that washed out as an NFL player. They'll be on to the next Jonathan Abram. Soon after. However, he's got a chance if this takes, that position change that he's making takes, and he can excel and he can be the player that he's probably very capable of playing. And it's going to take laser focus, a maturity, a commitment, uh, a a professionalism, and a steely-eyed determination to dominate that part of his life, and then everything else will follow. And he can be that personality that he's obviously wanting to be, but do it in a way that offsets or complements what he is as a football player. We're going to get to uh, Mitch in uh, just after the break. Sorry about uh, keeping you a hold of Mitch, uh, but we will get to you. You're in the huddle with Vinny Vonson. Brought to you by Tequila and Butter. Interact with the show, text Vinny at 69187, or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Let's take a right to the Raider, list, Raider Nation Radio listener line. Uh, Mitch in New Jersey, sorry about keeping you waiting there. Uh, Mitch, how you doing, brother? Oh,
1: pretty good, uh, Vinny. It's okay. My dinner uh, got cold. It's not, not a problem. Got a mic. That's why we gave a mic away. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's pouring cats and dogs.
0: Yeah, oh, um, okay.
1: It's, can, can you imagine all the stuff that's going on in Los Angeles? I mean, we're getting Max and Trey. I'm not a Lego fan. My clippers are sitting in the laurels, so I don't know what's going on with them, but. uh, Westbrook and guys are
0: all famous. I, you know, I, I just, I just saw that the Dodgers are about ready to get Max Scherzer and um, and and Trey Turner, Jake. and obviously the uh, the Lakers got uh, Russell Westbrook. So it's on the Rams. They got to go get uh, who would be the equivalent. Who do the Rams need to go trade for it to, uh, to keep the momentum well, got going?
1: Stranford. They got
0: Stafford, though. Well, Staff, yeah, P- uh, P- Stafford. But, you know, we're, we're, we need a big trade today. Uh, sure. Demond, who are the Rams – if the Rams need to keep up with what the Dodgers just did or are on the verge of doing and what the Lakers did, what NFL player do the do – the, uh, Odell Beckham? Maybe Odell yeah, Beckham? be somebody like that. Yeah. But also, I was thinking about, like, production-wise, Scherzer's, like, one of the best in the game. So it's like – yeah, if they got somebody like that, it'd be cheating. Well because the Dodgers, know, that's what they're doing. Yeah, they they did. They actually did. His name was Trevor Bauer, but he was an idiot. So Oh um, well yeah. yeah, well
1: obviously okay, they they're did. just making up for a starting picture that they're missing. Right,
0: exactly. So they're yeah, they're Because he's not coming back. Nah. Nor should he. And from everything that I'm hearing in uh Los Angeles, uh his teammates don't want him back and uh, you know, so uh, that was what the news. Dodgers felt the Yankees. They looked at. They looked over and they were like, hey, we got a lot of money, too. Yeah, yeah. The Yankees are uh, are for sure going it. Uh, but uh, what you got, Mitch, uh, on the Raiders, brother?
1: He brought the Yankees. They, they got Joey Gallup, the guy I wanted to the Dodgers. Again. They just that got
0: Anthony Rizzo, boy. too.
1: Shit, I mean, he's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I want to say, uh, you know, but, me, but Aaron Rodgers must be kicking himself because he's a California boy. All the California teams got, got their quarterbacks. And I don't know why you you you'll see we just don't they don't talk about the Chargers and Angels, but anyway, all the clutches. And Vegas doesn't need a quarterbacks. And Rodgers has to be kicking himself. But well, I gotta say the Raiders uh with this COVID uh, Covet it's pretty scary. You got what the two backup uh, backup uh, number three, number four. Uh, I mean uh, Rashad is a really little the tooth there. Gurley is still available. We come cheap. Would Todd Gurley?
0: Did you say? Did you Todd say? Todd Gurley? No, 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 no. You know, we no, 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 no. I love Todd. Uh, Cover Todd uh, in Los Angeles. He's unfortunately, you know, I hate to use the word damaged goods, but he's no. Nah, Are you talking about the Raiders getting Todd Gurley? I'm talking about
1: the Raiders. I mean, no, 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 I mean, no, 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 no. And Rashad. They, they, I know gonna be,
0: Drake's going to be back on Friday uh, From what I understand I saw him today He was working off to the side He looks fine It's early in training camp You know, the regular season's not until uh, You know, September 13th or so There's plenty of time He's been, Yeah There's no There's nothing It
1: ends in, in March
0: wh- What's that? It ends so long with
1: the 17 games ridiculous I mean, I hope you arrest that
0: stars by, game by week 15,
1: 16 Yeah but, I have one more thing Go ahead Oh, go ahead.
0: No. no, no, no. No, no, no. Absolutely. Go for it.
1: I want Fowler to start. You know The top four. I'm talking about Will Fowler. I'm talking about
0: Cleo.
1: <laughs> I want Fowler to start. All right? He's top four. I think he's going to be good. I know, you know he won't get the glory, but he's a big guy. I want a 4-3 defense. And I don't know if you remember. Well, I think they've used to play with five defense linemen. That would be a 5-2-4. I, I, I will really uh, deep, it in, in line, deep it in line in line, but I'm repeating myself
0: like a parrot. Um, Vinny, thanks for taking the call. You we got it, with. brother. Thanks, thanks for the call, Mitch. Stay, uh, stay dry out in New Jersey. Uh, here's the thing about Klee, Um, and somebody brought this up on Twitter. I'll go back and check to see uh, who uh, the great uh, insight came from. Uh, but you know, it's a lot of this is going to be about who you're playing to. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me uh, as one of my you know uh, somebody on Twitter brought up that Clee Farrell is starting, whether he's starting full-time and, and that's that's you know the standard starting lineup or it becomes a matchup type of a situation. But you think about it, uh, they're going to go play the Raiders to start off the season, the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Both of those teams are big physical, kind of run-first, want-to-run-it-down-your-throat-first uh, offenses where a guy like Clee Farrell profiles as somebody that, you know, his skill set, his strength, stopping the run, you almost figure that he's going to have to start in those games, especially in those early downs. Um, Whereas a Max Crosby, this is what I would worry about a little bit if I'm the Raiders or concerned about and something that you have to think about. There's no question that Max Crosby, uh, if he's, you know, back to being Max Crosby, is a more productive pass rusher uh, than, than a Clee Farrell. There's no question about that. Um, you know, he gets to the quarterback. He's shown that he can get to the quarterback. That's a commodity. That's some, It's not the end-all, be-all, uh, um, but it's it's something that, especially in this defense and especially in the, the way today's football is being played, guys who can get to the quarterback are important. Uh, obviously, Yannick Ngakwe can do the same thing. He's one of the premier pass rushers, has been in his career in the NFL. Even though he did kind of struggle last year, I think a lot of that might have been going from the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Minnesota Vikings to the Baltimore Ravens all in the same year. That can be tough, learning uh, various different systems, changing cities, all that. If he just gets back to what he does, he's one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. However, when you're talking about Max Crosby and Unique Ngakwe, unless they kind of redefine themselves – You have to be concerned with both of those players starting at defensive end because both are somewhat deficient in run defense. And you got to be concerned about opposing offenses saying, okay, well, if you're going to start those two guys as your defensive end, we're going to run right at them. We're going to be heavy, we're going to be powerful. Uh, we're going to be determined, and we're going to force them and challenge them to stop the run. That's what I would do as an offensive coordinator if I see Ngakwe and Max Crosby on uh, starting at defensive end. Now, if Max Crosby has been diligent and determined in terms of getting better against the run, then no issues, no problem. That That really does change things but you got to see it before you assume it and in max's case tr- you know traditionally and, and historically and it's only been two years but he's not been the best against the run period and neither has Neonic and Gakwe um so you got to be concerned about that has Cleve Farrell put up all the big sexy numbers and been dominant uh, in any particular area no but he's been a good solid football player both in the pass rush and certainly against the run so when you start thinking about all right it's the Baltimore Ravens what do you think the Baltimore Ravens are going to do when they come here in in September and play the Raiders they're going to try to run it down the Raiders' throat and then play off of that with their terrific young quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who is best in play action and after the Ravens can establish a run game and then play off of that. So you almost have to figure, if you're a betting man, don't be surprised if Clee Farrell winds up starting that game. But again, that's why it doesn't matter... Who starts? Who doesn't start? Not necessarily. If you're going to go into a game-to-game situation, kind of lining up and 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 matching up against the offense that you're playing against, the type of offense that you're playing against. Now you got to be a little bit careful with that as well. I think I've told this story, but um, a a offensive coordinator coach of a of an NFL team, you know, told this story where his team was getting ready to play the ball uh, the New England Patriots. Right, so. Uh, let's just say they're playing them and the Vikings are playing the or whoever it was, I think it was the Vikings was playing them in week seven. And whoever the Patriots played in week six, the Patriots spread it out, um, you know, went wide threw it 40 times or so. You know, they were throwing it all over the field, darting and, and quick, quick hits and and just spreading it out and beating uh, the, the opposing team with quickness and athletic ability and matchups. So, I can't remember who the who the uh, team was that was playing the Patriots next, but what they did was they scouted obviously what the what the Patriots did in week 6, the week previous or prior to them playing them and they decided, well, we need to gear up for the Patriots spreading things out and forcing us to defend them all over the field like that. So, they set their roster, they set their game plan to that. To that type of an offense, to the point where I think they carried an extra defensive back. They dropped one of their defensive linemen, you know, thinking, okay, uh, this is the Patriot offense that we're going to have to prepare for. And then the Patriots came out and ran the ball like 15 straight times. And then they're up 21 nothing, just running it down somebody's throat. And it just goes to show you, you can't assume going into a game. You have to be ready for everything. It was a sneak attack. Uh, but like I said, I think with the Raiders defensive line, the versatility and the depth that's now uh, inbuilt in this defensive line, I think they're going to be able to to match up better in a game-to-game basis, also get through games in a better and be in better position late in games, late in seasons. We'll see, uh, but it certainly looks like that's where it's headed. And I think talking to Clee Farrell, does it matter to him if he starts? I'm sure it does. In his heart of hearts, he wants to start, but at the same time, it's it really is who's there when it counts, who's getting the most playing time, and are you effective in your playing time? And if the Raiders can get more guys to be effective. Along that defensive line this year, it changes everything. I want to say thanks to Devon Cotton. Thanks, obviously, to Mark Davis, Peter King uh, for joining us. It was a heck of a start to the show and uh, proud and honored to have talked to both of those guys. Uh, Devon Cotton, our great producer, our listeners, our callers. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and